of each one. I know we've got some missing today. Some are out of town and uh, some are maybe caring for uh, those who are not able to get out and things like that. But appreciate every single person who's here. You're welcome. We're glad for your presence. And our uh, hope is that our time together will be beneficial to us and uplifting for us, edifying, building our faith, our, our devotion, our commitment to live a life that's pleasing to God. So we appreciate the presence of everyone today. I also appreciate those who have led us in our worship today. Uh, Brother Matt and uh, leading the singing, the good job, Brother Robbie's prayer, the comments at the table. Our worship is designed to be participatory. It's not a spectator event. We're to participate in it. Everybody, we're not watching others worship. We're involved in worship, each one of us. As we sing, we all sing together. Uh, we all partake, partake of the Lord's Supper together. We're involved in that activity personally. And as someone leads us in prayer, we're praying along with them. And I hope we're engaged in the sermon as well, but we're to participate in it. It's not spectator event, it's a participatory event. And so we believe if we participate in it, involve ourselves in it, we put ourselves into it, heart and soul, that we will benefit from it. And I trust that's what we've done today. Let's begin in the eighth psalm today, the eighth psalm. And uh, the psalmist here, David, asks a question that we're going to kind of take as the, the, the subject of our lesson today. Here's the psalm. When I consider the, we're going to, well, it begins in this way. We're going to work our way down to verse 3, but again, it begins this way. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who has displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you've established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than God is what the New American Standard Bible says. Other versions may say angels. And you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I pick up all this question that he asks here in the middle of this psalm, what, what is man that you take thought of him? And so that statement is, is preceded by this comment, you know, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? I, I can just see David as maybe a young man keeping the sheep at, sheep at night. They're all settled down for the evening. He's the shepherd. He's watching over them. I picture him. He's sitting on a rock over here watching the sheep. And he's looking up at the heavens. And he sees the stars. And so just imagine what that sight must have been, must have been like without any of the city lights uh, diminishing the brightness of the stars, making some of them invisible. And so he, he's looking at that. He sees the stars. And he sees the moon. And he sees all of that and all the expanse of space. And then he considers himself just one little tiny speck in, in all, of that, all of that great scene. 
And he says, you know, when, when I look at all of that, I think, well, what is man? This little tiny speck in all of this. Well, what is man that you take thought of him? You know, what, what are we? What am I? That I have God's attention, that he looks at me, that he considers me, that he thinks I'm valuable, that he thinks I'm important. And so that's the question we're going to ask today. What, what is man that God takes thought of him? We've been trying to put together some lessons about how to think biblically and how to, to, to look at the world and look at ourselves in a, in a scriptural way, in a biblical fashion. As we see the events of the world unfold around us, when we watch the news and we hear about something that's happening either in our own community or in some other place, how do we make a judgment about those things? How do we decide whether that's good or bad or right or wrong or, or, or evil or righteous? How, how do we decide that? Well, we want to think biblically. We want to think scripturally. And so we want to evaluate those things, including ourselves, and our own actions. We want to evaluate those things in light of the Word of God. That's why we appeal to Scripture. It's the Word of God, and it's going to give us guidance. It's going to establish principles in our thinking that we'll use to make evaluations about what's going on around us. In our own experience, as we interact with other people in our own lives, and then as we watch the events that are going on in the world around us. And so here's a question that we need to have an answer to. What, what am I? What, what, what are you? What, what are human beings? You know, what, that God would take thought of them. What, what am I? What's my place in, in the world? And so I want to just give some thought to that question today. And that takes us, like the psalm, back to Genesis chapter 1. And so as we read through this psalm, you might have observed uh, some, some echoes of Genesis chapter 1 and, and creation. And so let's go to Genesis chapter 1, and you remember that account gives an account of God creating the world and everything that's in it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we have an account of what God created on each of the six days of creation. In the first day, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the, the second day, let there be an expanse or a firmament, and that came into being. He divided the water from the dry ground, the sun and the moon and the stars. He created the birds and the fish. And, and then in, in chapter 26, or chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth, and it continues. And so God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then the next verse, and so God created man and woman, humanity, human beings, after his likeness, in his own image. And so the Bible teaches us that we are made in the image of God. What is man that you take thought of him? 
He is someone that you have made in your own image. Oh, that's, that's an important thing to keep in mind. That's, that's an important concept to grasp. And as we look at the world around us and we try to make evaluations and judgments about what's going on, this is one of the things that we want to always keep in mind. I am someone created by God and I bear the image of God. They, the people around me, they are also made in the image of God. And understanding that and recognizes that is going to have some pretty strong implications on how we act toward other people and so forth. And so God created man in his image and after his likeness. I don't know that the two words, image and likeness, point to different ideas. It may simply be two words describing the same thing. We are created to be like God. We possess the image of God. Now that's an idea that's been talked about and discussed and written about, well, for a long, long time, hundreds and thousands of years. What is the image of God? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? And many have suggested that it has to do with qualities like intellect. God has intellect. We have intellect. Free will. God has free will. He's able to choose his own course of action. We're able to choose our course of action. A sense of morality. God senses what's right and wrong or really establishes right from wrong based upon his own character. And so we have that sense of morality, right and wrong. This is right behavior. That's wrong behavior. A capacity to enter into personal relationships. God is a person. He's able to have a personal relationship in himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, but also with us as well. And so we are made in his image in that respect, that God is a person and we are persons, and he's able to enter into a personal relationship with us and we with him. Or that we are spiritual beings, as God is a spirit. We talked about that, I think, last week. God is spirit. There is a part of us that is spirit as well. We have a physical body, but we are spiritual beings as well. And so there's a lot of, lot of discussion and ideas about what it means to be made in the image of God. But whatever it means, and he go, doesn't go into a lot of detail here in the passage, he does talk about the result. Because we're in the image of God, well then we have dominion over and rule over the rest of the creation the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and so forth. We have dominion over them. We, we rule over them. We exercise authority over them. And you know what? That makes a distinction between us and them, doesn't it? And so we have distinction over the created order, the animals in the created order, and the, 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 the physical creation. We have authority over it because there's something different about us. You see, we're created in God's image, and the animals are not created in God's image. There's no indication anywhere in the Bible that a dog or a cat or any other animal is created in God's image. We, we are created in that image, and that makes us different. We are not like them. Now, we're like them in some ways, but in this important, essential feature, we are not like them. We're created in God's image, and so... Because we have an exalted position, we have dominion over the created order. Now, that doesn't give us a right to abuse it and misuse it and those kind of things. In fact, remember the man and woman are placed into the garden to keep it. And so they had a responsibility to, to take care of it. So we have a responsibility to take care of this 
uh, the gift that God's given us, the created order, but we do enjoy a position exalted above all other things that we experience in this, in this, in this realm. Now that's true about every person. Everyone is created in God's image. Whether you're man or a woman, everybody here, grown up, child, doesn't matter. Every one of us is made in God's image. And so the psalmist makes all these points here in the 8th Psalm in verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you've ordained, what is man that you take thought of him or the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than, than God or the angels. You crown him with glory and majesty. There's our exalted position. Crowned with glory and majesty. You make him rule over the works of your hands. Now the greatest expression of this, of course, is Christ. This is fulfilled, we might say, in Christ. He rules over the works of God's hands. and All things are put under our feet or His feet. All sheep and oxen and so forth. And so we enjoy that exalted position. Now, as you know, not everybody believes this, that we are made in the image of God. Now, not everybody believes that. There are a whole lot of people who believe that we have come into existence after a series of evolutionary events and processes that we're really essentially no different from the animals that we see and interact with and all of that. And so essentially, in essence, we are exactly like them. And so we're nothing more than a graduated animal. Now we might have developed a superior intelligence and we might be able to do some things that they can't do. Of course, they can do some things we can't do. But really, in essence, our, our essential nature is no different than any other animal. You know, I think that really has a profound impact on the way we live and the decisions we make as well. If you're taught you're not any more than an animal, you might end up behaving like the animals. But anyway, maybe that's a point we'll talk about in a few minutes. But we are created in the image of God. We are created after His likeness. And that affects our attitudes and our actions as well. And so let's talk about that for a few minutes. Since men and women are the creation of God and made in His image and likeness, we're made for fellowship with God. And so why did God make us in His image? Well, He made us in His image so that He can have a unique relationship with us, that He can have fellowship with us is the way we might say that. And so this is our purpose in life, to have fellowship with God. Now, there are a lot of people who think, well, you decide for yourself your purpose in life and your aim in life and your goal in life. But, but, but really, our purpose in life, our goal in life, is to live in fellowship with God. That, that's what we're made for. We're made for fellowship with God. That's why we're created in His image. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is talking about you know, our, our heavenly home and, and what we're going to inherit once this life is over and the, the spiritual bodies that we're going to have throughout eternity. And he says in verse 5, now, he who, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as, as a pledge. The one who created us to live in the presence of God, in fellowship with Him throughout eternity, is God. God created us for that purpose. 
And so, so that's, that's our purpose in life. And we may choose to do one thing or another thing in life, but, but we're made for fellowship with God. You know, we, we use that expression sometimes when we describe a person who uh, is exceptionally talented in an area. We might say, you know, that Michael Jordan, he's made to be a basketball player. And, and he's so good at it, so skilled, that, we just, that he's just doing exactly the thing that he was made to do. Beethoven, Mozart, Bach, they're, they're made to be musicians. And so, and so here's someone who's achieved on an exceptionally high level. We think, man, that's what they were made to do. Well, the truth is we're all made for fellowship with God. I had a theory that everybody has an ability or a talent that they would be just exceptional at. If you just figure out what it is. Uh, 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 Michael Jordan figured out his basketball. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln figured out his politics. Beethoven figured out his music. Everybody could do that if they could figure out what that one talent is that they have. Most of us don't figure that out, and so we kind of stumble around and fumble around doing other things. Now, whether that theory is true or not, I, I don't know. <laughs> but I do know this. Deep down, we're made for fellowship with God. And we're not happy until we find that fellowship with God. Isn't that what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5, at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're, you're, you're blessed, you're happy. You're in, a, you're in a condition of contentment and satisfaction because you're in fellowship with God. You're poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, they shall inherit the earth. And so you're, you're happiest when you're in fellowship, when you're in tune with God, you, when you're walking hand in hand with Him. And when you're not hand in hand with God, well, you're unhappy. You're discontent. You're not satisfied. You're looking for whatever it is that might help you be satisfied. But if you're not in fellowship with God and hand in hand with God, you, you just know this is, not, this is not it. Not satisfied. Now that's the book of Ecclesiastes, isn't it? Here's someone who's looking for happiness, searching for satisfaction in life by looking at things that are under the sun. And he concludes that they're all vanity. None of them give true happiness and contentment. What's the end of the matter? Fear God. Keep His commandments. Walk hand in hand with Him. Be in fellowship with Him. Order your life so that it's consistent with what God wants you to be, and you're going to be content. And you're going to be happy. And you're going to have joy. And it's going to be a joy that doesn't change with the vicissitudes of life. When life is bad, you're still going to have that joy because you're, you're, what you're doing what you're meant to be doing. You're in fellowship with God. When things go well, you're going to be happy, not because of the circumstances in your life, but because you're where you ought to be. You're doing what you're made to do. You're in fellowship with God. So we bear the image of God. What's the implication of that? We're made for fellowship with God. And we sure to have a yearning within us that's not satisfied until we find that peace with God, that fellowship with Him. Here's the second point. If we're made in the image of God, each of us has value because of that, that image. Each of us has value in ourselves. Of all the things in the universe, 
The stars, we talked about maybe David looking at the stars at night, the stars, the mountains, the oceans, all the magnificent animals. Just think about the lion, the horse, the elephant, just, just, just amazing, magnificent. All the other things in the world, there's only one thing created to be like God. It's you. Out of all those things, all the stars and the planets and the moon and the sun, the earth and all of its beauty, there's only one thing like God. It's you and me. We bear that image, and that gives us value in the eyes of God. All the achievements of men, the skyscrapers, the bridges, the modes of transportation, only we are like God. And see, it makes us special in the eyes of God, at least in that way. And we have value in God's sight. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26 Jesus is saying, don't worry about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink. Well, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? <laughs> and so here are the birds. You're worth more than the birds. Now that implies that we are distinct from the animal kingdom as well, doesn't it? And, and so you, you're a much more value in God's sight than they are. All people, young and old, need to realize you have value because you're made in God's image. Looked up a few statistics on the internet uh, the other day. In the year 2020, about 10% of the males between ages 12 and 17 suffered at least one major depressive episode. So, one in 10 males Teenagers, 12 to 17, experience one major depressive episode. Uh, the percentage of females, 25%, about one in four. Now, there might be lots of reasons for that, but, you know, this, the, 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 the idea that my life means nothing, I have no value, I'm a zero, I'm irrelevant, that, that's got to play a big part. Don't ever let anybody convince you that that's your situation. Because you're made in the image of God. You have value in the sight of God. And other people may reject you, and other people may ostracize you, and, and put a distance between you and them, and other people may insult you. And, and be, but don't ever let anyone convince you that your life is worthless, that you're irrelevant, that you don't matter to anybody because it's just not true. You matter to us, and most of all, you matter to God. When we determine a value uh, of a thing, we determine that value based on what people are willing to pay for it. Think about that. We, we place a value on a thing because people are willing to pay a certain amount. So, I use this as an illustration. That's a Thurman Munson baseball card. Thurman Munson played for the Yankees. He was a captain of the team, played in the middle 70s. I remember when he was a player. He's a very good player. He's kind of a tough guy. He's a catcher. He's the catcher in this, in this picture. And uh, very well respected, admired, lots of fans of his. 
Well, he lived in Ohio. His family lived in Ohio. He lived in New York, of course, playing for the Yankees. And he learned to fly a plane so that he could go home and visit his family on their off days. And so one day he's flying his plane, his little plane, uh, getting to Ohio, and his plane crashes as he approaches the landing strip, and he, he died. And his life was cut short. And, of course, uh, just a, a great tragedy, great loss to his family, of course, but lost to baseball and the Yankees. A lot, lot of people upset and mourning about that. And, uh, of course, here, here's his baseball card. Uh, this little uh, trophy over here, Topps 1970 All-Star Rookie. You know what this card is worth? $18,899. Now that's on sale from $20,999. That's what this is worth. You might think, well, that's a little bit random. I've never even heard of Thurman Munson. Why would you talk about his card? I've got one right here. When I was a boy, this is 1971, Thurman Munson card. I, just, I bought it in a pack. Buy a baseball card, you get half a dozen in a pack, a stick of gum. I, we, Kevin and uh, Jason and Mark and I were talking about baseball cards the other day. I went through mine and, and here, here it is. This is that card right there. Now, this, this is a card that's in mint condition. It's probably kept in a little plastic container. This was kept in a shoebox. <laughs> It's not mint condition, and this card is not worth $18,000. If I went to a collector and said, what, what's this worth? You know, how, you know what it's worth? It's worth what somebody would pay me for it. That, that's all it's worth. And if all I could get, which is probably the case in this, is a few dollars, because this is not mint condition. If all I could get is a few dollars, that, that's all it's worth. And so our, we are worth... Whatever someone will pay for us. Well, what is that? Well, in God's sight, He was willing to pay His only begotten Son for us. That's what we were worth in God's sight. In John chapter 3, in verse 16, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You're made in the image of God. You are of great value. In God's sight, He was willing to give up His only Son for you. And that's not only willing to do it, that's what He did. In the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 9, By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In our comments at the table, Brother Simon talked about the suffering of God's only begotten Son, that the torture that He endured going to the cross. He, he saw that in us. He was willing to give that for us. He was willing to pay that price in order to bring us to Himself. And so don't let anybody convince you that you're worthless, that you don't have any value. It's just not true. If we're made in God's image, well then we are of great value. Now that doesn't make us deserve God's gift or, or, or entitle us to God's gift. It just means that God sees us, He loves us, He wants us to be in fellowship with Him, and He'll go to this degree, this length, in order to accomplish that. Got one more point to make. We're to treat others who are made in God's image with respect. And so when we look at the world around us and we see other people, what, what do you see? 
Well, we need to see someone made in God's image. You know, in James chapter 3, remember, that's the passage in which James takes up the sins of the tongue. One of the things he says in verse 9 is, With our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in the image of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing, my brethren. Things ought not to be this way. You should not curse your, your brother or another. He's made in the image of God, and so you shouldn't curse him. It's almost like indirectly cursing God. And if it's wrong to curse others because they possess the image of God, how can it be right to insult them, to cheat them, to deny them common courtesy, to be unjust toward them, to oppress them, to deprive them, to neglect them? How can that be right to do those things toward someone who's made in God's image? I was reminded of a, a statement in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, Do not withhold good from those who, who, to whom it is due when it's your, in your power to do it. Here's someone who's made in God's image. They need a little help. Okay, if you have the resources and the opportunity, don't withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to give it. We're studying from the prophets, Isaiah. You know, it's hard to read the prophets. Prophets like Isaiah and Amos, without being impressed on their call for justice. In Isaiah chapter 1, for example, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, orphan, plead for the widow. Here are people that are on the, the lower end of things, the, the widow, the orphan, the oppressed, those who don't have. You do them justice. You respond to them in, in, in a just sort of way. What's going on in Israel at the time is you have the rich and the powerful and they're approaching the judge about this kind of helpless person, afflicted person, oppressed person. And he's telling the judge, you know, if you'll rule in my favor, I'll, I'll make it worth your while. And so he rules against the weak. And he rules in favor of the wealthy. So verse 23, you rulers and rebels and companions of thieves, everyone who loves a bribe and chases after rewards, they do not defend the orphan. And uh, nor does the widow's plea come before them. When we, when we look at the, the world around us and we see events in the world around us and we see our own, you know, what's going on in our own lives, you know, if, if people are made in the image of God, well, then they, that commands our respect. We need to treat them with dignity. We need to pursue justice. And we're familiar with the idea of justice. We're Americans. Liberty and justice for all. But as Christians, it even takes on another dimension. Liberty and justice for all, because all are made in God's image. And so we treat all people with respect. Men, women, children, adults, slaves, masters, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, officials, commoners. Treat everyone, because they're made in God's image, with a degree of dignity and respect. The rich, the poor, all races, the elderly, the unborn, Men, women, professionals, laborers, people with special needs, those who are healthy, those who are ill, everyone made in God's image and consequently deserves to be treated with dignity. All right, one more closing point. If we're made in God's image, we have a responsibility to represent God in the world. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And he goes on to tell us to walk in love. He gives us more specifics in verse 3. Immorality and impurity or greed must not even be named among you as proper among saints. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. Represent God in the world. Be imitators of God. Here are some things that you shouldn't do. And he gives us some specific application there. In Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10, we put off the old man, we put on the new man who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. As Christians, we are to be renewed according to God's image in, in a moral way. And so, we're to put off, he says, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and so forth. And we put on a heart of compassion, kindness, and humility. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And so we let that light shine through us so that others might glorify Him. Not us, but Him. And so if we're made in God's image, we have a uh, responsibility to represent Him in the world as he is. And Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18 says, With unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So as we grow and mature in our faith, in our knowledge and understanding, as we go through life, we are taking more and more and more developing more and more and more that image of God and representing Him in an accurate way to the world around us. Not for our own glory, but so that they might come to glorify Him as well. So, I didn't have that point on there. Just add that to the end here. So here are some implications being made in the image of God. This need to understand this. And this has an effect on the way we see the world and see ourselves and make evaluations about what's going on in the world around us. We're made for fellowship with God. Each of us has value in the eyes of God. We're to treat others who are made in God's image with respect. And we have a responsibility to uh, represent God in the world in an accurate way. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the opportunity to come together and to study from your word. We pray, Father, that we've handled it correctly today that we have said the things that you would have us to say, and that we've uh, represented your will in our teaching today as, as we should. We pray, Father, that we'll understand this great truth of yours, that we are made in your image, that we'll accept that and, and we'll understand it, and we'll accept the responsibility that comes along with that. Father, help us to order our lives so that we can walk hand in hand with you. We understand that that's where true peace and contentment in this life is found. Help us to understand, Father, that we are distinct from creation, that, that we have an exalted position, that we have value in your eyes, so much so that you are willing to give your only begotten Son to bring us into fellowship with you. And help us, Father, to always understand that regardless of how the world treats us, we know, Father, that in your eyes, we are of great value. Help us to treat others with respect and dignity. Everyone made in your image. And help us to pursue justice for all of those in your image as well. And Father, we pray that we will represent you as we should. And that our lives will reflect your character. That we will be imitators of you in this world. 
And others might come to see you shining in us and come to glorify you themselves. So help us, Father, in all of these ways. Help us to think on these things so that they'll make a positive impact on our lives and the lives of others. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're here today and you're not a Christian,